And uh, chapter 11, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, if you've already started uh, skimming over those words, you'll recognize that this is an occasion in which Jesus offers to his disciples a model of prayer. Uh, We know it as the Lord's Prayer, and uh, what I'd like to do is begin today a series of sermons as we look at the Lord's Prayer and what it means. Now, I had planned to do that earlier on when we finished our study of Ephesians, uh, but then the quarantine thing hit. We thought it would be just a few weeks, so we held off a little bit. Well, it's going to be longer than that, so um, we're just going to plunge in right now to look at uh, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, no doubt you're familiar with it. I, I trust that you are. It's not something that we as Baptists recite in our worship services, and a number of other traditions do recite the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I grew up sort of in a tradition that uh, recited the Lord's Prayer. I was raised, um, a lot of my church was in military chapels, and uh, because of that, the the worship pattern was probably a little higher church than uh, than what the Baptist churches are, and so grew up uh, uh, reciting the Lord's Prayer, and, and uh, at least you've heard of it. You know, I would hope so. So I want for us to uh, look at uh, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Just to read it for us very quickly. Uh, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. I don't know about you, but that passage just didn't seem right to me. I mean, when I grew up and learning the Lord's Prayer, it wasn't that short. It wasn't that abrupt. There was a lot more to it. It wasn't just Father. It was our Father. You know, and not Father in heaven, it is our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, all those kinds of things. Um, that comes from the Gospel of Matthew. And evidently, Jesus was able to teach on a subject more than once. I mean, it just makes sense when you think about it that as Jesus taught, if he taught about prayer in one village, he would teach about prayer in the next village and the next village and the next village. And so the things that he taught were probably repeated several times. That's, that's the best explanation probably of why in one gospel we'll have a, a saying of Jesus and another gospel will have the same saying, but maybe just a little bit different. Well, Jesus said these things many times. And so he gave uh, instruction on prayer many times and he probably talked about Uh, the model for prayer and how prayer could look and should look uh, on several occasions. So uh, we're we're probably more tuned in to uh, the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, And so we we learned a a longer version of this. And so we were um, probably, if you were asked to recite the Lord's Prayer, it would be something more like Matthew's, you know, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our what's. You know, trespasses, debts, trespasses, debts. You know, it's like the church is divided between the debtors and the trespassers um, in, in church. And, and, and frankly, I grew up learning trespasses. Forgive us our trespasses. It's not in the Bible. Well, it's not in the King James Bible. It's actually in, in, uh, 
William Wycliffe's translation, and that translation, this is in the 16th century, that translation became a part of the Anglican prayer book, and the Anglican prayer book then was adopted by the Methodists, and so those of us who have sort of an Anglo-Saxon background will pick up the word trespasses, whereas the Presbyterians were more in tune with the European tradition that was going with the strict translation of the um, of the Greek in, in Matthew, which is debts, and a lot of modern translations then just use the word sins because that's what it's mean, and that's what uh, Luke uses. So there's all these things. It's, it's really a way to be compassionate and understanding of one another. As we say the Lord's Prayer together, those of us who say trespasses will just wait, or, or say debts, will just wait until those who say trespasses are through. You know, we say debts, you say trespasses. We say debtors, you say those who have trespassed against us. I mean, if you want to be late for lunch, that's fine, but we'll just wait for you. But we grow up saying the Lord's Prayer, we learn the Lord's Prayer somewhere along the way. And I wanted for us to spend some time looking at the Lord's Prayer. Now, one of the reasons for that is that uh, if you understand the Lord's Prayer and you sort of internalize it, then you will understand who Jesus is. If you really thoughtfully, prayerfully, if you study the Lord's Prayer, you'll understand who Jesus is. Because there's a lot of things in the Lord's Prayer that you really can't say unless you know who Jesus is. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our trespasses. You don't understand that until you understand the sacrificial atonement of Christ who took our place on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. So if you, if you look at the Lord's Prayer, you really have to understand who Jesus is. And if you look at it and study it and internalize it, you will know what Jesus taught. Now, if anybody ever said, well, what did Jesus teach? Just recite the Lord's Prayer. This is it, basically what Jesus taught. He taught that God is our Father and He is worthy of all glory. His name is absolutely holy. Life is all about the holiness of God, and therefore we rely upon Him. We seek His sovereignty, the coming of His kingdom in our daily life. We rely upon Him, the provision of bread at, at, at every moment as, as we need it. We look to Him for forgiveness, and we trust Him for deliverance. Well, we don't need the sermon series now, because that was it. But, uh, but if you look at the, uh, uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount, you'll know who Jesus was, and you'll know... Uh, what Jesus taught. But the other reason to look at the Lord's Prayer is that if you start to pray the Lord's Prayer, really sincerely, it will change who you are. It's actually a very dangerous thing to pray the Lord's Prayer thoughtfully. Now I know a lot of people just sort of blurt it out. You know, it's an all-purpose prayer for, for all occasions, um, uh, I was looking at a, an old movie from uh, 1956. It was about the sinking of the Titanic. You, it was in all the papers. You read about it. But as the ship was sinking, the people in the lifeboats, and one of the characters said, we should say a prayer. And so they all started mumbling the Lord's Prayer, our Father, which art in heaven. And I thought, why are you doing that for? There's not a thing about a sinking ship in the Lord's Prayer. There's not a, there's not a line in there about about helping the people who are drowning or be comfort to those who are grieving or help us get through this cold night. We don't know when rescue. There's nothing. It's just a mumbling of a Lord's Prayer. It's an all-purpose prayer. Until you stop to think about it, that's actually maybe the best prayer to pray when you're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and this ship has just sunk out from under you. You see, to pray the Lord's Prayer will change who you are. And it will change how you relate to the world around you. For instance, you, you step back, and you pray the Lord's Prayer, and you say, 
power. In our world today, with all the turmoil going on, the one word that's not being said very often today is our. People are talking about you and them and they. It's talking about what I want. It's talking about what you did. And there's no sense of our. I mean, if, if, you, if we could just pause for a moment and realize this is our nation together. When I say it's our nation, that means it's my nation, but it's not mine. When we say our nation, you're saying it's your nation, but it's not yours. It's our nation. And whatever we do, we have to do together. And whatever conclusions we come to, we have to come to them together. And however we act and however we respond, it has to be a result of what we are doing together. There is an our-ness, if you will, about how we should live and how we should respond to the current turmoil that's in our land. And just just that word hour will change everything. If you don't think so, just just next time there's a discussion going on and somebody's complaining about one side or the other, just say, well, you know, we're, we're in this together. They are part of our nation. I'm a part of our nation. And just see how it transforms the conversation. Now, that's just in a general sense of what that word hour does as you, be, as you begin to pray. Uh, the, the, the Lord's Prayer, and you use that word hour, and, and that's, that's some of what Jesus means. I think it, uh, you know, to come before the Father is to come before the God who commands us to reach out to others and to love one another and to love our neighbor as ourselves and to be um, uh, just vitally involved in the, in the problems and the struggles of others. So when Jesus wanted to illustrate what it meant to love your neighbor as yourself, he was explaining this to a young man who had uh, and, you know, in his best uh, sort of intellectual voice, I guess, it said, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, well, let me tell you about it. Let me give you a story. There's a guy who came down from Jerusalem. He'd been there to worship in the temple, whatever. And he came down from Jerusalem. As he came down from Jer- Jerusalem, he fell among thieves. He fell into a group of robbers. There were a gang of people around him, and they beat him almost to death. And they stole everything that he had. And after they had taken everything he had, and he was bloody and bruised, they left him beside the road to die. Now here's this man on the side of the road, through no fault of his own. Everything he owns has been taken from him. He is wounded, he is bleeding, he is dying. Jesus said, and then a priest came down the same road and saw him over there. And no doubt thought to himself, you know, that man has a problem. He's got a problem. I can tell him what the, what the answer to the problem is. You need medical help. Why don't you go get some medical help? And why don't you be more careful next time? And, and make sure to travel in groups and have a buddy system and don't carry all your cash with you. And, you know, all those things. If you just listened to me, you wouldn't have that problem. You've got a problem, buddy. And he passed by on the other side. Then Jesus said, a Levite came by, and he's also a religious figure. He's got a a job in the temple area. And as he's walking by, he looks and he says the same thing. He said, you know, you've got a problem. You've got a problem. You need to solve your problem. And especially, you know, before you come back to temple, you had better clean up a little bit. Because right now, you're you're not clean enough to come to church. You've got a problem, and he passed by on the other side. Jesus said, and then came a Samaritan. 
Now, Jesus never preached a sermon entitled Race Relations in Judea. He never preached a sermon on how uh, the, the issue of race should be adjusted by the, uh, addressed by the people of God. He never preached a sermon on it. He just used it as an illustration constantly. He was always talking about unexpected people loving unexpected people in an unexpected way. And the Samaritan is coming by, and the Samaritans, uh, you know, he hates Jews. That's what Samaritans do. And the Jews hate Samaritans. That's what, that's what Jews do. I mean, everybody listening to the story knew that a Samaritan and a Jew were not compatible. They were in two different worlds and two different cultures and two different mindsets. They had two different histories. They had two different ways of having encountered what life brings to you. So they're just as far apart as they can possibly be. And Jesus said this Samaritan came by and he looked at the man who was, who was bleeding and dying and destitute on the side of the road. And he said, buddy, we've got a problem. He says, this isn't your problem, this is our problem. This is our problem. And not only is it our problem, I know you can't contribute to the solution right now. I know I'm going to have to pick you up and clean you up. I know I'm going to have to carry you and put you on a, 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 the, the, the conveyance to get you to the, to the, uh, the, the hotel. He says, I know you have no money to pay for it. I'll pay for it. I know it's going to take a while for you to recover. I'll surrender my resources to help in your recovery. Because, buddy, you and I, we together, this is our problem, and we are going to work our problem together. Do you see how that word our, you start to pray the Lord's Prayer, and that word our suddenly changes how you can see other people, and it changes how you can go through life. It changes how you respond to the things around you. That's why as a church, as the people of God, we're, we're called to look out to our, our world, to our nation, to those who are suffering and struggling, wherever you are in the political spectrum and whatever bright analysis you're able to give about it. The bottom line is this is our problem. And I'm not called to wait until somebody else solves it. I'm called to be used of God already. So that word our changes everything. That's just, that's just a general sense. Even more importantly, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Our Father. So one of the things that happens when you come to know the Father through the Son is you become a part of a family. You get brothers and you get sisters in Christ. And Jesus said, when the world looks at you, here's how they're going to figure out that you really know who I am. They're going to look at the way you love one another. That's why the church has got to be the the display, the proclamation of how people who are on basically other sides and differing sides of the, of the spectrum come together in love and compassion so that when they talk to one another, we're not talking to one another because I need to win an argument. You know, we're not sending messages out into the, into the stratosphere just so to prove that I've got an insight. But rather, I'm trying to figure out how can I love the person who reads my, 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 my posting, how, how can I love the person that's talking to me right now? How can I, of all things, just stop and listen instead of having to talk all the time? See, we're called in the body of Christ to come together. You remember from our study of, of Ephesians that Paul said, uh, look, when you, when you came in into the church, when you became believers in Jesus Christ, some of you were Jews and some of you were Gentiles. 
Let me tell you, Jews and Gentiles don't mix. The Gentiles did not like Jews. The Jews were a funny people, but they, they were annoying because the Jews would not worship the right gods. So every time there was a famine or, or there was a, a drought or every time there was a pestilence or a, or a pandemic, you knew who to blame. It was the Jews' fault because they weren't worshiping the gods. And so every so often, the Romans would just, in, in a city, they would just kick the Jews out. You know, a guy named Suetonius tells us this. He tells us that, that the Jews were kicked out of the city of Rome at one point. They would just do that. It's sort of like the pogroms of, of Eastern Europe used to do. And so the, the Gentiles did not like the Jews. And let me tell you, the Jews did not like the Gentiles. You know, the Gentiles worshipped the wrong gods, and we know that, that you're not supposed to worship any other gods but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so the Gentiles, they've got the wrong gods, and their morality is all wrong. And this was what was really offensive to the Jews was the morality of the Gentiles. And so the Jews and the Gentiles, they, they hated one another and they couldn't get along one another. And Paul said, look, when you, when you received Christ and you came into the body of Christ, here's what Jesus did. He tore down the dividing wall, the barrier that separated you. And there's not two anymore, there's just one. And when you're in Christ, you're not going to talk about Jew and Gentile anymore. And you're not going to talk about slave and free. You're not going to talk about barbarian and Greek. You're not going to talk about male and female. I mean, we understand these things are there. and We understand the history is there. But bigger than what, what I've been through is the fact that Jesus Christ has saved us and reconciled us and brought us into one body in a miraculous way, in the way that the world cannot do. So when you pray that word, our Father, suddenly... You know, the way you treat other people and the way you treat um, people with whom you disagree and, and, and people who aren't just like you, that, that has got to change. And especially in the body of Christ, it means there needs to be more love and compassion and understanding and listening and forgiveness. Because he is our, our father. See, that's, that's just one illustration of how dangerous it is to pray the Lord's Prayer. But that's what I want to ask you to do. Starting this week. Every day I want you to pray the Lord's Prayer. Now, when I say that, I don't want you to say it. I want you to pray it. I don't want you to just go through it by rote. You know, the way I used to do in church. You know, Our Father, which art in heaven, what's for lunch? Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. I wonder if the ball game's going to be on. You know, you do that. We all do that. Don't say it. Pray it. Take the words that Jesus gave us and make them your own. You know, pause and listen to what you're saying and say, wait a minute. If this is my plea to God, if this is, if this is what I'm asking the God of all creation and the God of the universe, if this is what I am asking him to do in my life, how is he going to change me? How is the Holy Spirit going to work in my life? Because prayer isn't just what I'm going to tell God these things. I'm going to pray these things. See, it's not as though God is up in heaven. He's saying, you know, that, that Lord's Prayer thing was really good. I really like that Lord's Prayer. I hope somebody puts it to music. You know, catchy tune, big finish. You know, 
Wouldn't that be nice? And, and, and so if we, if we just say the Lord's Prayer, that, that makes God, God happy and keeps us, keeps him off our, our back. Don't say it. Pray it. And understand that the Lord's Prayer is given not for a recitation, but for an invitation. It's not given just so we have something to recite, some way to, to kill time. You know, one, one of the reasons Baptists quit uh, uh, reciting the Lord's Prayer and saying the Lord's Prayer is because we thought it was too liturgical and too formal and it was meaningless and it wasn't spontaneous enough. You know, right? You know, we, we looked at the Catholics. We said, oh, look at that. They're saying the Our Father and say 10 of them and, and, you know, and all those other things. You know, they're, they're just going through the motions. We're going to be more spontaneous. We're not just going to have a written liturgy. We're going to worship from the heart. And so instead of having somebody write down what we pray, we walk into church, we take a bulletin, and we look at it to see what we're going to do. That's how spontaneous we are. Used to be we'd open up our hymnals and we'd sing some words that somebody told us to say. Now we look at the screen and we sing some words that somebody else wrote. You think we could say and pray the Lord's Prayer? Kind of like maybe the words of Jesus are worth repeating. But understand that the Lord's Prayer is not just for recitation, it's an invitation. Every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, it's an invitation to to let God change your life. That day, mold your life to look more like Jesus, to act more like Jesus, to sound more like Jesus. It's an invitation to a different way of living. And when you pray, don't mumble. Be humble. Just going through the motions and just saying, well, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom, the power of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Amen. Rather understand that to go before the Father's throne is a humbling experience. But we are not there by the right of our own, but we are there because of the righteousness of Christ. To be humbled before God, who alone has all the wisdom, who alone has all the power, who alone has all the insight, who alone has all the understanding. You come before God and you pray. It's a time to be humble. So come and pray the Lord's Prayer, but don't, don't mumble it. Be humble by it. And so that's what I want to invite you to do this week. And, 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 and as we go forward, just let the Lord's Prayer become a part of your daily worship. I promise you, it won't take that much time out of your day. Well, until you start to really pray, and then you'll start thinking about it all day long. And like we did this morning, you can't get by the first word without just having to fall to your knees and ask forgiveness. And ask God that, that He would just change our, our hearts and our thinking. To be more like Christ. That's my challenge. I want you to do that. And in a few moments, Randy's going to lead us as we, as we come to the Lord's Supper. Now, I know we've lost all the symbolism of it by now. The Bible says that we come with one cup and one loaf, a symbol of the unity we have in Christ, that there is one hope that we have and one salvation, one Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so now what we're going to have is individual wafers with individual cups and peel and stick and, and all this other business. But the meaning is still there. 
it is still the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we still come to that table together as brothers and sisters, as believers in Jesus Christ. So even as we come to the table, our Father which art in heaven, oh, can your name just be more holy in my life? Because when you pray the Lord's Prayer, it's a dangerous thing because it'll change who you are. Let's bow for prayer. Father, I would ask that we would be more open, more receptive. Father, constantly more available to the work of your Holy Spirit. Father, that as we pray, it would be more than form and formality, but Father, we would indeed be praying by the leadership, the movement of your Holy Spirit within us. I pray that in this room, and Father, those who are who are taking part in this worship experience through electronic means, Father, that you would make us one. But, Father, a oneness that is born out of the fact that you are sovereign Lord God of all. That you would receive the praise and the honor and the glory. We ask this, we pray this, in Jesus' name. Amen.